It was your wife, by the way, who did that. Thank you, Dave. All right. So uh, start the clock. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to say welcome, but then I want to just hit you right between the eyes. <laughs> okay. Serious question. How important are you? How important are you? Thank you. But I want you to think about this for a second. Really, how important are you? Well, here's the question I'm not asking. How important do you think you are? Because if we got beneath with most people, we would find a bell curve, but it would be heavily weighted towards this end. At this end would be people that really think they're quite important. And the irony of that, of course, is about half of them actually are. Okay? But then we would get down here and we would start saying, you know, people will say, well, I'm important to my family. I mean, why am I important? How can I see that I'm, a, I'm important to my family maybe? I'm important maybe to my friends. A job? Most of us, let's be serious. How important are you to the job? Well, you're really important, right? Except that there's somebody else that they could get to do this thing. I'm still echoing up here. Is there a way somebody could? Okay, I, I think it's coming out of this, just so that you'll know. Okay. No, that's all right. Thank you. That's, our, that's the guy that we help, hired to help us do this, so thank you for helping us do this. It might, it, might not be, it might be all of them. I don't know. Anyway, it's all right. I can make it. All right. So the point is, is I don't want you to think in terms of how you think about it or feel about it, because like I say, on the other end of the spectrum, what we would get is people who really feel worthless. There's a lot of people in here that just feel, really, if you really ask the question, if you get beneath, they're going to say, I feel worthless right? Now, there's not, not a whole lot of those, but there's, the bell curve exists somewhere on that side of the thing, because what a lot of people would say is, is, if I really am being serious about it, I don't feel like I'm terribly important, not, not in an ontological sense. You know what I mean? If I disappeared tomorrow, he said it would make a difference to my circle of friends, but you see what I'm saying? Are, are you getting where we're going here? Now, there's a good Christian answer to this, and, and it was answered before, even though I know that it was more than just a good Christian answer. But think about it this way. God thinks you're pretty important, so important that he himself came to take upon himself what had separated you from him in order to bring you back to him. So that means that makes you pretty important. But let me, let me just deconstruct that for you for just a second. Because in the narrative of Jesus saving us is this thought, which is critical. Everybody needs to think this thought. I can't, I'm not such a great person. <laughs> I am genuinely a sinner. I am genuinely screwing up. I am genuinely making choices that aren't the right choices for me. I'm making stupid choices. Okay? And thank God that we have God who comes and saves us essentially from ourselves. Right? So the undercurrent of that narrative is you're still kind of a screw up. <laughs> right? Think about it. So is that it? When I ask the question, how important are you? Is that it? Are we done? I mean, seriously, how important are you? I'm going to tell you something today that I'm guessing nobody in here has ever heard before. And if I had to say what I think God's doing, what if today God is trying to get you to see yourself through entirely new eyes? Much of the sermon is going to be something that you've heard before. But at the end, we're going to hit something that God showed me on my walk. I, I've never thought about it this way before, and I've thought about a lot of stuff over a lot of years. And when he did this to me, it was a 
Oh my God, if that's true, it just changes everything. So that's where we're going today, okay? So the person that pray, is praying for us is Nancy Tarbert. And Nancy Tarbert is just light. She's just a joy. So get to know her, would you? She's lovely in every way. Her whole family is incredible. The ministry that they're doing from, from people to, this, to the Bible study that you do to everything else, it's incredible what you do. So help us find God today, all right? Lord, uh, I thank you, Lord, for uh, bringing us all together today, this morning, to this church Lord, to hear your word, to know you better. Uh, you are beautiful, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. And we are your children. Help us come to a greater knowledge of what that really means. Amen. Help us and guide us so that we may glorify you. Lord, we, we uh, pray for Kurt this morning that he would bring us your words to us. Help us come to a greater understanding of you. Uh, we also pray for your church body, the entire body, Lord, Amen. that we would... know you greater. Amen. Come to respect what you made us to be. Thank you, Jesus. And bring you glory every day of our lives. Amen. In this, we ask you, in Amen. your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Perfect. Thank you. Just the right note. All right, we're in Luke. We're at the very end of Jesus' time before his crucifixion. He's now in the city. We're a couple of days away from the crucifixion. One day as Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the good news in the temple, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? They demanded. Hear the tone. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right? Let me ask you a question first. He's not saying I won't answer you. He's saying I have an answer for you. But let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? They talked it over amongst themselves. If we say it was from heaven, well, they, he will ask why we didn't believe John because what John said about him was he's the Messiah. Right? So why didn't you believe their testimony? You, you don't have to ask. John said I'm from God. But if we say it was merely human, the people will stone us because they're convinced John was a prophet. So they finally replied that they didn't know. <laughs> and Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, here's what we're doing today. I want you to get the big architecture point here, the 50,000 foot view. We're going to see that this question that they ask, that's a totally legit question. Look, Look, in basketball terms, you come into my house, right, and you do this, how, who do you think you are? See what I mean? This is smack talk, in a sense. And on, on, the, on, a, on, a, on an 
on a superficial, on a, on a surface level, this is a completely legit question. He's in the temple. They, they're the ones that are supposed to be running the temple. This is a totally legit question. But here's what we're going to see today. There's a whole lot more going on than just that, just the surface level. In fact, in all of life, there's a whole lot more going on than what you even know. You may actually get the second and the third and the fourth level, and there's still another hundred below that. And here's what we're going to see about Jesus. Whatever level he's operating on that is the obvious one, the thing that he does is the perfect fit to every single other level, no matter what it is. It's the perfect fit, up, down, and all around. He gets it right here, and there's perfection everywhere else on everything he does, always. Watch. They're answering, they're asking a totally legit question, but we know better, don't we? <laughs> we know that there's something else going on that Jesus is, in fact, aware of. The leading priest and the Pharisees, this is after Jesus has raised Lazarus. Now watch how they say this. The leading priest and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs like raising the dead. If we allow him to go on like this, listen to it, soon everyone will believe in him. Now what's the unsaid part of that? Instead of us, <laughs> right? So they'll believe in him. They're going after him. We don't want that. So what's their response? From that time on, they began to plot Jesus' death. Oh, well, there's a level for you. When Jesus asks, answers this question, this is a precarious moment all of a sudden. This could lead to his death right now if he answers wrong, right? Do you remember something about Jesus? A, he always knows. As a result, Jesus stopped his public ministry and left Jerusalem. How did, he, did, the, did the religious leaders make it clear that they were plotting to kill Jesus? No, the crowds were for him. They had to keep it quiet. So does Jesus have a spy in the religious camp? Of course not. What did he have? The Holy Spirit. And the, all throughout his ministry, there's something going to happen that could have totally changed what was supposed to happen. But Jesus knows it all the time because of the Holy Spirit. And as I've been saying, he gets it right at every single moment so that the thing that happens doesn't happen until it's the moment that he's determined it's to happen. See it? So the point is, now watch this. Uh, this is a precarious moment. He knows he's got to answer correctly. He's not scared, but watch. Why didn't he just say, I'm sent from God? What's wrong with that answer? It's true. And if they don't like it, so what? <laughs> right? Why doesn't he just say, you ask me who's, by whose authority I do this? Me. <laughs> My authority. <laughs> God, you know. Now they would have blasphemed and killed him right then for that. Okay? But either way, he could say, I'm a prophet from God. Heck, anybody can say that they're a prophet from God, right? 
I mean, I've told you before, I lived in Venice for quite some time. It's the first church that I ever ministered in. And in fact, the first church that I ever ministered in was, this is Venice Beach, the boardwalk at Venice Beach, which at that point in time was the second most popular tourist attraction in all of L.A. So Disneyland and then Venice Beach, the boardwalk. Okay? And, and Venice Beach, the boardwalk, literally, can you see right to the very right, can you see a little blue sky there? This is the main avenue and then you walk, and I put that mural up there because on the other side, not of this building, but on the other side of this block, there's a building. So as you're walking, if this is the ocean out there and you're walking to Venice Beach, there's these two buildings right here. And at one point in time, I think they've painted over them now with a different painting. But at one point in time, they were painted in a way where as you were walking this way, you looked up at the walls and they showed you what was behind you. And the church where I served is in that painting. That's how close it was to Venice Beach. It's just, a, it's like a two-minute walk, okay? Now, here's what I can tell you. You can see in this picture that Venice Beach is not exactly like a nice place. It's not Disneyland for sure. <laughs> it's kind of a seedy place. There's really two crowds in Venice at the beach. One of them is the mass of tourists who come in and go out. And then the other community that is essentially homeless and lives right there on the beach the vast majority of those people would be drug addicts or mentally ill. Okay, big problem with the mentally ill being released, by the way. Big, big, huge problem. Okay, and this is one of the places where it showed up really greatly because you could live outside all year round and be mentally ill. But you could walk up to any one of the people. If there was a group of, say, 15 people, and if you've been down there very much, you see them all the time. We used to go down there and minister to them all the time. But the point is, is, is there'd be like 15 people sitting around in a circle. And if you ask somebody, you know, something... Well, it, every once in a while, you'd actually get somebody in those 15 that would say, I'm God. <laughs> but almost every time, you're going to get at least one person and probably more, they're going to say, I'm a prophet of God. That's who I am. In fact, I've told you before, in Revelation, there's the two witnesses, right? And, and at this point in time in my life now, I have now met three of the two witnesses. <laughs> okay? I've had three people tell me, I'm one of those two prophets, one of those two witnesses, okay? So having said that, what I want to say is, is Jesus testifying to himself is actually the scripture says this, let your testimony come from another. See, for Jesus to say, I'm from God, so what a lot of people say that. Interestingly, do a study on it, fascinating study. Jesus has asked that basic question in different forms throughout his life, and he never answers it. Now, that's not true, actually. He answers it every single time, but he never says the obvious answer. He never says, yes, I'm from God, or yes, I am God. The one that's the most poignant is when John the Baptist is sitting in prison, and he's going to lose his head shortly. And he's just wondering how this is all gone, and he asks him privately, was it really you? Are you really the one? That's the moment, just in compassion, that Jesus should have said, yes. Tell him yes. But Jesus gave him a better answer. He said, if I just say yes, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, who cares, how do you know? So tell him this instead. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the, dem the, the dumb are talking, the gospel's being preached to the poor. Tell him what you're seeing. And now John has proof. And he can die knowing that this is the one.
And not just because he's doing the miracles, but because he's fulfilling the prophecies by doing the miracles. You see it? So you've got a testimony in the prophecy being fulfilled. You've got a testimony in, go ahead, try and do a miracle on your own. And you see it goes on and on. See this? There's many, many witnesses. So the point is, what we, what we need to understand is that when Jesus is answering these questions, he's not trying to be obtuse. He's not trying to be evasive. He's not trying to protect his skin. We're going to see in a second. Jesus doesn't have any problem with saying whatever he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. He wasn't avoiding the yes answer. He was actually driving people to a deeper answer, which is what he always does. Because what Jesus is always doing when people ask that question is, he turns it back on us every single time so that we have to decide who this is. You see it? You want an answer from me. I'm going to give you one that you're going to have to think about and decide whether or not you think it's true. Because here's the evidence. Take your pick. You see it? Now, can I just say, if we're talking about being right on levels, that's pretty cool, <laughs> right? This is Jesus being really effective, being effective in ways that other people can't because they don't have what he has, or that other people can because they do have what he has in the Holy Spirit, right? So now, now just watch this, though, okay? So he's not going to testify that he is this person, but do understand, when we talk about Jesus being tolerant, when we talk about Jesus being just kind of maybe like a little bit lacking a backbone because he just loves everybody and whatever, whatever, this is, these people are asking him a question, and I want you to understand not only what he thinks about these people, but what he has said to these people, because here's what he said to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within you're full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. Outwardly you appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying... If we'd have lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of these who we now believe to be actual prophets. But what are they doing right when he's saying this to them? Plotting to kill him. This is Matthew 23. The plot is well in motion. He's saying, thus you witness against yourselves. You say you wouldn't do it, and you're not just going to kill a prophet. You're going to kill God, <laughs> the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. Thus you witness against yourselves that you're the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You are truly their children. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. You know what he's saying right there? Do it to me. Fill up the measure. You see it? And then he says this about the disciples. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Who is he, who's he talking about? Jesus saying, I send you, I'll send you. He's talking to come. Who's he talking about? The disciples. The Christians. Paul. And guess what they're going to do to them? 
You're going to kill and crucify some, and you'll flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. That's exactly what happens. Of the, of the, of the 11 disciples plus the one that they added in, every single one of them but John dies from this exact persecution. So that, you may all, so that on you may come the righteous blood shed on all the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah to the blood of the ones who are standing right here listening to what I'm saying to you. Truly I say to you, all these things are come on this generation. So, so again, Jesus is not afraid to say whatever he needs to say. <laughs> to the contrary. I always want to say something. Always remember this. God is a brilliant communicator. He has no trouble communicating clearly. But now watch. What happens is, if he'd have said, I am God, what would they have done with that? Killed him. Blasphemy. If he'd have said, I'm a prophet from God, what would they have done with that? They would have twisted it. Because that's what they did. When they arrest him a couple of days later, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. He's standing right there on trial, and they're trying to find somebody to testify against him as to what he might have ever said that would justify them killing him. You see it? And what happens? They couldn't find anybody. <laughs> Remember I told you, all in his entire life, he's been operating perfectly on every single level. He never said anything in his life which would come back to haunt him at this moment. Is there anybody in here who can say that? <laughs> right? I'm going to say something in the next five minutes that I'm going to regret horribly one day. <laughs> Don't be looking for it. Okay. Look, many are giving false testimonies against him, but the testimonies didn't agree. They couldn't get anything that stood up in court, so to speak. But then they get somebody to say, we heard him say, I'll demolish this sanctuary made by human hands. In three days, I'll build it not made by hands. Now, that's not actually what he said. What he said was he said, destroy this temple, me. And in three days, it'll rise again. He's talking about the resurrection, right? But they twisted it, didn't understand it, twisted it. Yet their testimony didn't even agree on that. <laughs> there was no testimony that was given about him that was sufficient. That didn't stop him, but it should have. So, I just, uh, let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? We're going to look now at the genius of Jesus' response. The first thing is, is who does he call witness to witness for him? John, the Baptist. You know, the guy who said this about the religious leaders. When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? <laughs> so he's bringing out the guy that they hate <laughs> and that they think was merely human and they were happy to see beheaded. Okay, I need help now. Come on up. I want to show you there's another level of this. We're going to have a little fun here. Okay? So I want, I want you to see a crowd dynamic that takes place here. Tim, you got to come too, I think. Or did you already find? I think it was, I thought it was Tim Ed. Okay. Okay, so Jesus, where are you, Robert? 
Okay, Jesus, come in this way. It's because he's preaching next week, and so I wanted him to have extra authority this week, okay? All right, so here's Robert. This is Jesus, okay? He makes a good Jesus, I think, okay? So would have everybody else, let me just say, okay? But makes a good Jesus, okay? Now, you, these are the two disciples. So you guys come right here, okay? This is the, I want the crowd over here. And then you religious leaders, you got to go over there in the, in the thing, okay? So here's the crowd. Yeah, you guys are in the wings watching. Now, here's what's happening. They're in the temple, and Jesus is talking to the crowd. So blah, 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 you're talking to the crowd. Where's my clicker? Okay? And, and you're talking to the crowd. Now, what are they doing over there? <laughs> now, there's a whole bunch of them. There's not just two. There's a whole bunch of them. They're in their house. And they're going, we got a problem here. Look at this. Even in our own house, this guy's taking people away. Right? So they're plotting over here. Do you see that? They're, when they come forward, it's not just an accident. They have to be walking by. Who are you and what are you saying? See? What they're doing is they're watching what's happening. And they're going, this is not good. And we've got to do something about it. And so they do. And the way that they do it is, is that they send out their team, and at the front of their team is going to be who? The people that are ineloquent or the people who are the best debaters? Because you see, their goal is to make him look stupid or foolish or anything that they can in order to get these people to quit paying attention to him. So when they come forward, sorry about this, whoever's doing worship, Isaac, sorry. Okay? So when, when they come forward, come on forward. Okay? So, you know, in, in acting, when you can't remember your line, Joy, she always remembers her lines, by the way. Sorry, I didn't mean it that way. But, okay, so here's your line. What you do when you don't, can't remember your line, you say, line, okay? And then somebody tells you the line. So there's your line. So you guys say this to him. We weren't told that we were supposed to say stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good answer. But either way, go ahead. Uh, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? Now, they're perfect, perfect. Now, I want you to see the crowd. Now, come over here, okay, because you guys are all watching. Yeah, just like this, okay. Now, I want you to see what the crowd and everybody does, not so much the disciples, but I want you to see what the crowd does when that question is asked. That's a good question. That's true. So you see, they're looking at him. Originally, you guys are looking at them while they're talking and asking the question, but then they go, hey, that question's legit. So now what do they do? They turn to hear what his answer is. Now notice, when you turn to hear what the answer is, you're going to appraise whether or not you think his answer is worthy of the question, aren't you? See what I mean? There's a decision that they're going to have to make about what he says next. Because they're kind of going, two or the three of the crowd, you two, fold your arms and kind of take a critical, you know, a, you know, like a questioning stance. The third one is a nice person. <laughs> Okay, all right, you're typecasting. <laughs> That's hilarious. So the point is, is that when they turn to him, and when they're doing this, they're looking to see what he's going to say because they're going to judge what he's going to say. Do you see it? What, we're looking for crowd dynamic here and how Jesus, what happens here in the crowd dynamic. So now, Jesus, you're lying. Let me ask you a question first. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or from man? He didn't even look at the slide. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So let me ask a question. Did John's authority come about or was, was it really from man? Now, the people who are sitting there, even with their arms crossed, it's like, well, that's a really good question. So now you guys got to stand over here, okay? Over here. Right, just stand right here. So now you guys turn to him and everybody. Everybody. Oh, is that what it was? Nicely done. Hey, he still gets points for that. All right. Now when that happens, watch this. Everybody turns to these two, and now everybody's got their arms crossed, don't they? Why? Because what do they think the answer to that question is? All of them. It was John. Now notice what's happening right now. They're having to think, aren't they? They're having to process what the answer is. If Jesus would have just said, yes, none of this happens. It would have been an argument in some sense, or some sense right? But the point is, when he asks this question, now they all take a critical stance towards these guys. Now watch the dynamic. Here's how a debate is supposed to go. Somebody serves, somebody volleys, somebody volleys, somebody volleys, somebody volleys. And these guys are going, this person, this person, this person. That's a debate, right? He says something, they say something, he says something, they say something. What happens in this case? I, exactly what you're saying. Exactly. Uh... uh uh, now, now, see, there you go. See, you, you guys did perfectly. So now you've got to kind of turn your backs to them, and you've got to kind of talk this over because we've got to figure out our answer. Now, what happened in the crowd right now? You lost them right there, didn't you? Jesus' answer was immediate, fluid, natural, organic, came right out of it, totally legit. They turned back. These guys can't answer. You lose right there. However, they could redeem themselves. How? if the answer they came back with was spectacular. If it was insightful, if it cut through, if it took it to another place. These are their best debaters. They're sitting over here going, wow, he just put us in a corner. Right? We don't think, now remember, remember these guys, all these guys, all of us, we think that Jesus was from John. So while they're talking, what are we doing? You know what? Who is this? Because John said that he was Messiah. These are the religious leaders. They don't seem to have an answer. Maybe they're going to have an answer, but you see what's going on in their minds? They're thinking about, wow, look at everything he's done. Look at how he's fulfilled. Look what John said. Wow. They're looking for some sort of an answer from these guys, aren't they? So they discuss amongst themselves, and then they turn back, and it's not the line exactly, but you reply, eh. We don't know. Now, watch the dynamic in these people. Lame. And not just lame on a debate level, lame on a human level, on a character level. We know what you think. Sorry, I don't mean to be pointing my hand at you guys like that. It'll make you feel bad. We know what they think. They think he was merely human, and they don't have the conviction of their own beliefs to be able to say it. So it's not just lame and that they couldn't answer. It's lame on a character level. 
They came out here to dissuade people from following him. And right now, everybody turns to him. <laughs> turns their back on them. Do you see it? Isn't this right? This is the dynamic that is happening right now. Now, the religious leaders, thank you very much. I love you. I told you it was going to be hard. <laughs> I picked the nice guys so that you guys could take it. Okay, thank you. Now, we're not quite done here. Now, let's just, we got, we got to take this, we got to take this one more level, okay? This crowd here, I don't think that they were probably the exact same ones who were in the crowd when he was being before Pilate, and Pilate was saying, the crowd goes to Pilate and asks him to release a prisoner. Would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? For he realized by now that leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. But at this point, the leading priests stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Now, I don't think that it was probably the exact same people because I like to think, just because I like to think it, got no evidence of it. I like to think that these are the people who first came to Jesus when they were in town and people started getting saved because they went, you know, I was in the temple one day and this thing happened with the leaders and I had to think about it and I got a witness in my heart that that really was somebody and now he's risen again and people are talking and things are happening and I, I like to think that. But here's the truth about human nature. We are phenomenally fickle. Add it up, whoever you want who's in the crowd right then, why in the world would they say crucify Jesus? For what? For healing people? For talking about God? Barabbas was a thief. And apparently the, the thievery was of a level that was sufficient to crucifixion. He should have been there. But Jesus shouldn't have been there. How in the world? How in the world did they get to a place to where they thought that was okay? And what I want to say is, is lest we point a finger at them, it needs to point back at us, right? When you point, there's three fingers pointing back. Because the fact is, is we just have to recognize how incredibly fickle we are. And this moment is bringing this out. That we would do something like that. That we would go from one to another, or at the very least, that we would still do something that was just wrong. Right? So I want to thank the crowd. Yay. But the disciples are still here. <laughs> Love you. Love you. Now, Jesus, love you. I'm not dismissing you because you can't dismiss Jesus. <laughs> but you're done. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thank you. Now, just following the theme of how we are as people, right? These guys walked with Jesus, saw all the miracles, watched all the things. Surely when Jesus dies, they got it. He told them he was going to be crucified. He told them he was going to be resurrected. He told them everything as plainly as you could say it. He told not mysteriously, not in parables. He told them, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again. Right? So surely these guys don't get fickle. Surely these guys can stand. Do you see what's happening here? Those guys lost in character. The religious leaders lost in character. The crowd loses in character. And right now, what happens with the disciples? The time is coming, indeed, it's here now when you will be scattered, each going his own way, leaving me alone. 
as was prophesied. And the point is, he dies, and they're scared, and they run away. In fact, they're so scared that when they gather together again, they're in the evening, and they're meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. <sighs> Love you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, I just I want to point out something. I took strong people, and I brought them up here, and I made them all look bad. <laughs> Thank you for helping us see it, though. But do you see it? None of us gets off. But let's do something here. Because of what I just said, you could say this. Therefore, if I mess up, which I will, because everybody does, and which is true. But when I mess up, I'm going to get grace. And is that true? Of course that's true. And that could be the lesson of the sermon. The only problem is, is we have a problem. There is a difference between, we've been saying the whole, between the disciples and us, we've been saying the whole time, God, we're watching God disciple people in Luke, and then we're watching him disciple us the same way. But we have an advantage over them. They didn't have disciples to learn from first. They were the first. So when they messed up, how are they supposed to know all of this? Well, he told them, and so they should have, but still. You see it? But when we mess up, we have another bump in the road that should have stopped us from messing up. And what's the bump? God just said to you here that you can mess up, and he's telling you don't. He's saying people do, so don't you. See that? I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want this difficulty. I don't want this thing to take place in your life. In fact, let me bring it home all the way where we are right now. You got one more thing coming? At the very end, Jesus says, sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. That's what Jesus says. I don't think it's the end right now. I don't. I think there's every reason to think it's the end, but I think what it is is, is I think that, that as we've said many times about prophecy, it fulfills and then it fulfills greater, and then it fulfills greater, and then it fulfills greater, until finally it completely fulfills. I think that the end, in a sense, has come for Europe, where they found God, got excited about him, and then their love grew cold. I think the end is happening for America. I think we knew God, and I think we're growing cold. And there's no metric that you can look at to where you can argue with me about this. Because it's, it's, we're down to somewhere between 8 and 6% of people go to church with any regularity whatsoever. And we're down to, if you measure, there's still 70% of Americans that will say they're Christian. But if you ask them any questions about what Christianity means to them, the ones that will actually identify as actually Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, He is God, these kinds of very, mo the most fundamental things of what it means to be a Christian. We're not quite to the teens yet, but we're probably right there now. That's how few people in the country believe this. We are a post-Christian country at this point in time, by any meaningful definition of that term. People still identify with it that way, but it's a cultural identification. It's not a personal relationship with Jesus identification for most. Having said that, it's real easy for sin to go rampant and for us to grow cold. And if you don't believe me, just look at your friends. Everybody in here knows somebody who used to love God, 
And there's one person I've got in my mind right now. And I tell you, I'm just almost in an almost constant prayer for this person. Because I'm watching where they were and where they are now. And it's just killing me. And that's just one. But lest we point our finger at somebody else and forget ourselves. God is trying to tell us, be careful. Watch out. You think this is the same problem the Jews got into, right? It takes so long to fulfill that you think it's never going to happen. Now right here, I could say, be done, go home. It's a good sermon. You've heard this sermon before in some fashion. I hope I brought it alive to you in some way that was good and everything else. But I'm going to indulge if you would give me another seven, eight minutes. I'm going to take seven and eight minutes. And I'm going to show you what happened on my prayer walk about all of this. Because I'm at the very end of this sermon that I just gave. And I'm walking. I can tell you right where I walk. And I'm walking down the very last corner before I go to a straightaway, before I go to a straightaway to go home. And once I hit the city again, I start praying for my family and so on. So I'm, I'm within two, three minutes of entering back into life from my prayer time on my walk. And I'm coming around the corner, and all of a sudden, the Lord starts putting a thought into my head. By the way, this is what he says about it. This was with the other sermon, I'm sorry. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is the thought that he starts putting in my head. He says, look at what I've been doing since September, Kurt. I did this last week. Now watch. The first one was God loves us with a first love so you can trust him. The second one was pray. He's our only hope. The things that we need are not things that we can do. So we only have one possibility and we need to trust him for that. The third one was trust him so much that you have peace no matter what happens. The fourth one that Kevin did was trust him to take away all your sin and failure. The one that, I, the one that we did last week was trust him who also knows the pain of unanswered prayer. Do you see how many dimensions that he's doing here? Now, how many levels that he's working on here? Now today's is trust him who gets it exactly right at every possible level. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him. Trust him. He's been saying it over and over in vastly different ways at vastly different levels. He's trying to tell us to trust him. Why? Because he wants us to trust him. Why does he want us to trust him? This is the illustration that came to my mind. God wants to make us like him. Conform us to his image, right? He's trying to fill us up with who he is. So this is an old-style cloud-type thing where there's a file over there, and you're just copying a file, and there's the big file there, and it's copying over to this file, and we're that file, right? So that's how we think about God is when we get saved, he starts downloading stuff into us, and it's starting to fill up our file, and it's starting to change who we are, right? But one of the things that God has been doing with us and what he does with us is he says, you do have to remember something. There is still a lot of you in that folder, the old you. And so you do need to do this too. At some point in time, you need to come and take and throw out that trash. Right? So that I decrease so that he can increase. I empty myself that he might fill me. I empty myself not just that he might fill me. I empty myself so that the things that I am quit getting in the way of what he wants to do. Because I'm the impediment to God expressing himself in the fullness that he wants. Do you see it? 
So if we really understand what's going on, what we're saying is, is once we get empty, then we can get all the way to completing the file dump. And then when we're done, who are we going to look like? Nothing but God, because what's in us? Nothing but God. Now, to do that, you've got to trust him. I mean, you really, really, really have to trust him. Because you've got to give up everything that you are. So that he can fill it with everything that he is. We all get this, right? We're not to the part yet that God just blew my mind on, but we're here right now. See, we got done. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Is that what it sounds like? I love the way the message says this. Watch this. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lives, lines as of the life that he gave his son, or of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Isn't that beautiful? So right here, I'm thinking this is my illustration for the sermon that I just preached. But as I'm thinking about that, all of a sudden, and I'm thinking about it, I get right to the corner now, and this is what God does to me. Is it a two-way sink? See, the old style is download from one to the other. But now we got big OneDrive in the sky, right? And here's the thing about OneDrive in the sky. When, the contents, when God changes the contents of that folder, yes, it sinks down to us. But if you change the contents of the folder down here, it sinks back up to him. If you do not pay really careful attention right now, you're going to get your theology so screwed up <laughs> that you're going to be a heretic and get stoned. We'll use the rocks that we got as a memorial. <laughs> you have to really pay careful attention right now. But I want you to see the nature of God, what he's trying to do. Because we just saw, you just saw it, didn't you? And it's making you cry. It's unfreaking believable. Sorry, that was probably not the right way to put that. <laughs> Jesus was resurrected in a real body. See my hands and my feet? That's how I myself. Touch me. See. A spirit does not have flesh. Jesus was spirit. He was born of a woman and became flesh. He lived and then died. And why didn't he rise again as spirit? This flesh is but for a moment. He was done with it. Time to go back to being who he was. But he didn't do that, did he? He rose with a body for a reason that I'd never seen the fullness of until now. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And when they still disbelieved for joy, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have anything to eat? See, he's bringing it home. He's saying, spirits don't eat. I have a body, I do. And they gave him a piece of boiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. And now what happens next? After he said something else in Acts, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud, one drive, took him out of their sight. This is solid theology now. This is not the controversial part. When Jesus ascended back up into heaven, he, just didn't, he didn't just go to heaven. He went back into the Trinity. He was always a part of the Trinity. But he 
ascended with humanity, is what we said. He took our humanity and made that part of the Trinity. Now, this part I already knew. It's hard to get a hold of, but I already knew that. But here's how I thought of it in my mind. Come up here. Sorry, I didn't, I probably shouldn't have. She's going to be preaching in a few more weeks, so there you go, okay? But now watch. She's God, and I'm me. And yes, I get to come up and be there, but I thought of heaven as this way. See, God is still there, and I get that his glory, because his spirit is like larger, and it's like all around. And so I come into God, quote unquote, and I'm in his glory. No, no more need of the sun and the light, as Revelation says. See, I'm in God, I'm in his glory, right? But he's still there, and I'm still here. There's always a difference between us and God, and that's he's creator and we're created. But I always thought of a separation. Thank you. And watch, how, watch what Jesus prays. This is our verse for this church. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. How are we to be one with him? As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be where? I'm, yeah, see, you're starting to get it. I'm starting, I'm, I'm supposed to be the same with God as Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. I am in them and you are in me. Father, I want those whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Where is he? I would have answered that question before today as heaven. I don't think that's the answer anymore. I think the answer is in the Trinity. In God. Don't get this wrong. Understand there's always a difference, but I'm making a point. God's trying to make a point. You are not God, but you are now part of who God is. God can get rid of you and still be God. But it's not just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit anymore. That's not who he is. Jesus is the firstborn was showing a pattern of God's heart, nature, character, who he is. And here's who he is. He makes things and he doesn't stay distant from them. He brings them into his very ontologicalness. Ontological meaning being. He's not just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit anymore. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and Becca. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit and Becca and Dave. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you see it? We're not just in his glory and he's still yet at the center of that somehow. We are part of who he is. That's what he's taking us to. Is this sinking in? I get that I live at the 50,000 foot level and so I get these stuff and then I get how they apply immediately. I'm hoping and I've seen in eyes, but here's what I want you to see. He's telling you that he wants to be one with you the same way that Jesus is and that's not of a lesser thing. He's telling you, I'm different because of you. Now, different is not right because how can perfection be perfected? But yet, 
It's more. If his nature is to create and become one with, this is what he's doing. He's creating and bringing in us as part of himself. God, I'm asking, I'm begging you, would you please bring this home to people right now? Would you open their eyes? Holy Spirit, if you don't, if you don't touch us and open our minds to understand what's really being said right now, what you're really saying right now, then we walk out of here and not change. But if you do open our eyes, if you do cause us to have a moment of brilliant insight, of brilliant understanding, then in Jesus' holy and precious name, every person in here is changed forever. And I'm begging you in Jesus' holy and precious name, let this happen right now. This is who you really are. This is how important you are. You can look up. I know a lot of people are still thinking I'm praying, but I quit. This is how important you are. I asked the question at the beginning, how important are you? At the end, I'm saying you're part of God. You're part of who God is. How important does that make you? Does it do to me, does it do to you what it's doing to me? Because when you started, when you got it, you started crying, that's what it does to me. I just go, oh my gosh. This just changes everything. In fact, let me just end it with this. Is this what the scriptures mean when they say no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him? I always thought that that was a glorious heaven. I want to say that that now sounds superficial to me because there's another layer, another level at which God has revealed to me what he's really going after. And I think that that ought to be incredibly sobering and incredibly joyful and make us incredibly mindful of everything. It is the new nature. There's still the old stuff that needs to be thrown away and that's done away with. Lord, in Jesus' name, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, don't let this incredibly subtle point that is so massive get twisted God in Jesus holy and precious name not only don't let it get twisted let it come into us and start to birth a life let it be a seed planted in us that starts to grow up to 20 and 60 and 100 fold in Jesus holy and precious name God I see myself differently I see who I am differently I see why I'm important differently I see you differently. You're more beautiful than I've ever imagined. That you would be willing to come and to be with us in flesh is amazing enough. But that you are then bringing us up to be part of you, who you are. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh.
Lord, you reach down in front of us. And we grab these two cups. And in the bottom one is the way that I've seen myself, the way that I've misseen myself, and the way that that has broken my decisions in life. And so I put my finger in there to recognize that it wasn't for you, just like with the disciples, it wasn't that you didn't tell me all this, it's that I just didn't get it. But now I do. And I recognize an entirely new thing. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done because it's just taking on an entirely new level of meaning to me. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, I lift this cup to you, Jesus, for the healing that you brought on that cross. And I thank you for it as I take it. Jesus, holy and precious name, God, we lift up this cup in which is the fullness of everything at every level. The life that you have for us that you make right in ways that we haven't even begun to imagine. And God, we say, this is the life that you've made available to me and I want to live in it. I'm making a conscious choice. Do this right now. I'm making a choice to live that life. If you do not know the Lord and you are here, what better time than this very second to say, I want to be one with a God that would do that. I want to be one with a God who brings me into him. Oh my gosh. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, desiring to be one with you and to let you fill us to overflowing with who you are, emptying ourselves of who we are. We lift this cup and saying, let it be your life, not mine, from now on. In Jesus' name. It's good. Thank you. Jesus' holy and precious name. Ushers, thank you for coming forward. Did that work? Did you feel it? Give me some feedback. Okay? If you don't agree with me, that's fine. Call me. Talk to me. We'll, t we'll talk. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we now respond to the incredible things that you have done as only you can have us do. And so in Jesus' name, receive from our hands. Receive from our lives the pittance, but the importance that we say thank you, praise you, worship you, live your life, not mine. And so we pour into your coffers now, in Jesus' name.